Beyond the darkness, beyond the human evolution, is Khan, a genetically superior tyrant, exiled to a barren planet, banished by a starship commander he is destined to destroy. Left for dead, he has survived. I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round Perdition's flames before I give him up. There she is. There she is. to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, marooned for all eternity, buried alive, buried alive. Sean! Sean! At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's like one of those like marketing hooks that like you know they strung a series of words together and to make it sound deep when in fact it means absolutely nothing. Do any of you have any idea what that means? At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. I don't know, especially could Khan's in the galaxy somewhere, so I don't think he's at the end of the universe. No, he's he's also in a part of the universe that we've all been to right yeah yeah it's not it's known, known it's known oh, space, been to the end fact. of the galaxy we've yeah. been to the end of the galaxy i i think there's also like a need for superlatives with this like you'll notice frequently mm-hmm. they'll use the expression like it's uh, and they even use it in this one like spock says it about genesis it's a pattern of energy i've never seen before right <laughs> yep. uh chekhov says it about when they get to the great barrier they they use it a decent amount it's just to try to make things it's sound good. a little bigger than they really are. Yeah. Also, the, absolutely. they have to remind non-Star Trek fans that, yes, the movie takes place in space. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently there's vengeance to be found. <laughs> vengeance if, in space. If, if, if you missed it from the title of the movie you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> but we digress. Anyway, welcome back to the Shuttle Pod, everybody. This is Shuttle Pod 60. Woo-woo. Our diamond yep. episode. Fantastic. <laughs> Our diamond jubilee episode. <laughs> um, I am Brian Drew. I am hosting this week, and I am here with Matt Wright. Hey, guys. Kelly Yacovino. Hey, everybody. And Mr. Jared Whitley. Hello, friends. Yeah, we got the full crew with us today. So as you've probably guessed by now, we are going to be doing one of our movie review podcasts we haven't done one in a while we've been kind of falling behind on it so we are actually 
up to this point we were kind of going backwards with the original series movies the previous one we did was the voyage home but we've decided as kayla pointed out a while ago that because the search for spock is really a direct sequel to the wrath of khan we figured we would do the wrath of khan first so here we are and um obviously a lot has been said about this movie over the years it is considered the best star trek feature film and it is actually considered a classic genre movie certainly I also um, I also think it's the I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, I also think no, in means. terms of sequels, it has the uh, the best delta or or whatever the term is, um, according to Rotten Tom- uh, Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb. I remember seeing this once that uh, based on how well the first one was rated and then based on how well the sequel was rated, Wrath of Khan does the best uh, of any movie. Oh, and in terms of rating, yeah, in terms yeah, yeah. of the in second ranking, one being being more better, popular, more, be- more popular. better received. Oh, I see. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. The relative rankings between the first and the second one. Yeah. Right. right. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the movie has been alluded to by other films, like Quentin Tarantino, I think, alludes to it in Kill Bill. He opens right. with uh, Khan's quote about revenge being a dish that is best served cold. Um, so the movie has an imprint on the culture more than any other Star Trek film. I mean, The Voyage Home, you could argue, might also have a certain cachet, but The Wrath of Khan is generally... Yeah, considered a classic. For sure, you only get you only get con screams in Seinfeld from one, you know, from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not from yes, anything exactly. else. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Although, although Kramer prefers Search for Spock. <laughs> Kramer does. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, Cosmo. Um, obviously, this movie's been talked to death over the years since 1982. Um, so we we are we're gonna go over, you know. A little bit of historical background about the movie and what was going on at the time. And we'll maybe have some personal recollections of how we feel about the movie and what it was like when we first experienced it. And then we kind of are more interested. The most, I think the part we're most interested in doing, talking about is the film's effect on the franchise mm-hmm. as a whole. And whether it's been good or bad. So let's... Um, Let's get started, shall we? Uh, Brian, before we get into it, can you give a little more historical background for those who may not uh, have heard as much about this, since you're our resident sure. expert on this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> and so is Matt. Matt is as well. Um, this movie had its genesis, no pun intended, in probably around 1980, right out, not long after the motion picture was released. And to make a long story short, Star Trek The Motion Picture had a very troubled production both during principal photography and particularly during post-production ran way over budget barely made its theatrical release and while it did make money it was not the runaway hit that paramount was looking for so they decided they wanted to try again but they did not want to spend the ungodly amounts of money it cost to make star trek the motion picture Mm -hmm. star trek motion picture when it came out was the most expensive movie ever made yikes i didn't realize that. whoa yeah it cost 45 million dollars in 1979 which was more than Cleopatra. I think Cleopatra was the most expensive movie before that. Now there's there were bookkeeping issues that made, inflated the budget, but the bottom line is the movie movie's budget went wildly out of control. It scared the studio to death. The movie barely made its box office. Release. Yeah, it it, it so, did not make Star Wars money. No, 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 it did not. It made money. It did not bankrupt the studio or anything like that. But it. It definitely had its troubles, and Paramount decided they did want to try again, but they wanted to have a little bit more of a price control on it and make sure that things didn't get carried away. 
one of the casualties of that decision was Gene Roddenberry. Yep. Gene was blamed, and not completely fairly, by the way. Gene was blamed for the budget on the motion picture getting out of control. I think he was blamed for a bunch of other things, some of which were his fault and some of which were not. So the studio, I think, around that time period offered Gene offered to buy Gene out of his uh, shares of the Star Trek franchise because Gene owned a piece of it. And I think once they bought him out, they made a deal with him where it was he was uh, made to be called an uh, executive consultant, I believe, which essentially gave him the ability to write memos and collect a large fat paycheck, but nothing <laughs> he said or did would have any effect on any upcoming production. Right. So they basically kicked Gene upstairs and pushed him to the side. Once they did that, they decided they had the studio, I mean, Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg and Barry Diller, a bunch of other people, people all who ended up being legends in show business. They decided they had to bring in someone who had a decent sense of budget and how in um, an understanding of how to execute these movies without bankrupting the studio. So Harv Bennett, I believe, was bought in originally to be producing TV shows for Paramount, but they needed someone to to produce a new Star Trek movie, so they bought him in, and Harv told them that for the money that the motion picture cost, he could have made three movies. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they basically, that's exactly what they wanted to hear. They hired Harv. Harv went off screen. Harv was not a Star Trek fan, but like everybody else, he knew what Star Trek was. Went off, screened all the episodes, settled on Space Seed as the as the germ of the idea he wanted to do. Then they went out and tried to find a director. Ultimately, I think a bunch of people turned him down. They bought a Nick Meyer, and Nick at the time was mostly known as a novelist. He had written The 7% Solution, which is a uh, uh, Holmes, Sherlock Holmes pastiche, was a New York Times bestseller. He had just directed a movie, his first movie, about a year or two before that called Time After Time, which is a which is a great, great, great little movie. It's about uh, so Jack the Ripper, he was right? Brought in, it was. It was about Jack the Ripper and H.G. Wells. Oh, that's right. That's right. Anyway, he was brought in to work on it. The movie was had, I think, about a fourth of the budget of the motion picture. It was budgeted at about $12 million. They were not going to spend a lot of money out. They wanted to reduce their risk as much as they could. They start bringing the grand, the gang back together to try to get the movie made. Leonard Nimoy really did not want to come back. He didn't enjoy his experience making the first movie, and Leonard was constantly worried about being typecast. So, they Harv had to come and kind of persuade Leonard to come back, saying, "If you come back, we'll write you a beautiful death scene." And every actor, you know, that's a that's a hard offer for an actor to to shake off. So, yeah. he yeah. agreed. He agreed. And then finally, you know, they brought back Ricardo Maltaban as Khan. And, you know, people don't realize this now because it's been a long time. But at the, in the early 80s, Ricardo Maltaban was a bit of a punchline. He was Mr. Rourke on Fantasy Island. Sure. He was, you know, on, on Chrysler commercials hawking the rich Corinthian leather. Yes, <laughs> yes. Those are on YouTube. You, know, he, you should check them out. They're yeah, you should something. check them out. They're a lot of to, fun. To be fair, I, I'm sure he got very well paid for pushing the car. Oh, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. But Ricardo Maltaban was a very gifted actor, and he had kind of, you know, he wasn't exactly being challenged playing Mr. Rourke. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, you know, he was called back in to do the Wrath of Khan. It was a huge role. I mean, that, that was a big deal for him. You know, I think he was in his early 60s at the time, and it was, 
it's it is now one of the great film villain roles of all time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they went off and made the movie. It ended up being a fairly sizable hit in the summer of 1982, which is, by the way, a great year for genre movies. Boy, was it! Yep it um it revived the Star Trek franchise, and it's you know it 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 allowed everything we've been experiencing ever since to happen. Yeah, if this had it's been really a flop, true, right? then we wouldn't be having this conversation. Exactly. No, no. If, if the Wrath of Khan had not done well, Star Trek probably would have been dusted off maybe a decade or so later, but it would have been under completely different circumstances. Yeah. Hmm. So, so it, it's a it, it it is a remarkable film in many respects, and as we've as we will discuss later, it has a rather it casts a rather long shadow over the rest of the Star Trek franchise, particularly the movie series. Yeah, mm-hmm. particularly yeah, yeah, yeah. movies. Yeah. So, so that was a brief Cliff Notes version of <laughs> of the Wrath of Khan. I don't know if anybody else wants to add anything. I think you covered that. all the main points. There's so many other yeah. little details we can get into, but yeah. we're, but we're not going to do that. We're gonna, yeah, we could you know. do we could literally do an historical podcast on the movie that could go over an hour. But we, you know, I, I think we feel if you're listening to this, you probably know a decent amount yeah. of background on the Wrath of Khan already. Oh, I, I do want to say if you want me really great background, um, in the director's cut, the 2016 Blu-ray version of Wrath of Khan is a fantastic documentary done by Roger Lay Jr., who's the same guy who did the blu-ray documentaries for next generation and enterprise mm-hmm. watch that and you pretty much get everything we just said and more so it's it's worth your time uh yeah. the uh, the episode that our friends at mission log did about wrath is really good so if you want some more detail about that you could you could go listen to theirs very as well good. oh there you go yep very good yeah and speaking of, of various cuts really quickly there are there is obviously the, the original theatrical cut and then in 1985 when it made its uh broadcast television debut nick meyer went back in and added scenes yep the abc cut basically the abc cut which is not quite the same cut as the director's cut that's on the dvd and blu-ray oh i right. didn't realize and in that. fact and in, and in fact the dvd is slightly different from the blu-ray yeah so mm. there's like literally like four different cuts of yes. the Rathacon floating around yep some of the some of the changes are rather minor some are bigger what are the big i don't actually know all of the changes by heart like matt you were saying earlier you can pick them out yeah, I think one of the biggest, and I think one that actually helps a lot, is is the cut scene where Kirk interacts with Peter Preston. You yeah, know, the yeah, yeah, eager, yeah. Eager midshipman. Um, the, we the, don't the actually know. Yeah, exactly. That's yep. poor, the poor guy. Um, we don't really like, in the theatrical cut, it makes like no sense why Scotty is all choked up about this one specific cadet dying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they, yeah. They cut out this, they cut out the entire point, like the entire little aside that Kirk has with him, where Scotty kind of goes this is actually my sister's youngest and you know kind of says like why this yep. kid why this yeah. kid matters there's also a great interchange where he's you know an eager cadet and actually talks back to the admiral you know kind of yeah. excitedly and it's it's a real it's actually i think it, i think it's a worthwhile reinsertion like i'm glad that that's back in there in the and it's a fun bit because kirk knows he's scotty's nephew i think and he just starts messing with him yeah but right <laughs> towards the end once scotty goes oh that's that's my sister's youngest or whatever Kirk basically looks at him and goes, Midshipman, you're a tiger, because he starts talking back to him. And it's delivered a little awkwardly, but also kind of funny. And you can tell, you know, this is an admiral just messing with this young, you know, space crazy kid. And it's pretty, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's a great little scene. Um, so that's, that's probably the biggest one that's like, okay, this actually adds 
like useful context yeah you know? it's a nice it's a nice character moment yeah yeah there are other little bits um i i will remember to add show notes to a great website that actually tells you all the things that have been added oh but. perfect yeah the, the one i remember is when when khan is when kirk tricks khan into chasing them into mutard nebula yes this is a good and, one and savik says why is he doing this this doesn't make any sense and spock yep. says remind me to explain to you sometime about the human <laughs> ego yes that's the concept a concept of the human ego that's yeah, such that, again a really nice little like i think that's a great line i'm, I'm glad they put it back in yeah it's yeah. so well, great it's, it's also like khan's in um larger than life personality qualities are what make him remarkable not the fact right. that he is a little smarter or a little stronger than the average man, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it's, exactly. The point of Khan is not that he's jumping around like Spider-Man beating up Klingons. <laughs> oh, is that okay? Well, that I jumped why, why into that. Jared, what, why, Jared? What are you alluding to? I know. I, Jared's I don't bearing know. the just, lead there. Just a little pulled bit. It, just pulled it out of thin air. Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yes, but I will say the the director's cut is worthwhile watching. It doesn't add, in terms of the runtime, it adds just a little bit on, and it's it's totally worth watching that version. I think. Yes, absolutely. I think it's the better cut. Just, just to pick up on like what Jared was just saying, I think that is one is a really good uh, point, and I think it's one of the reasons why Khan is such a good character and slash villain in both both senses. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's like we, we talked about, on, I think on the last podcast and a couple of podcasts before that, um, ha- what happens when writers focus on one aspect of a character. So oh, uh, J- yeah. Jared was talking about what happens when you get these data-driven episodes that are just like about the fact that data is an android and that's the yes. trope that carries it through. And so this yeah. wasn't about the fact that he was a superior intellect or superior strength, really. I mean, the intellect right. sort of played to this sort of game of chess and, you know, and, and feeling that was driving the plot, him right. versus Kirk. Yeah. But it wasn't like his whole character was hanging on this one quality. It was about who he was, what his personality right. Yeah. was. Right. It's his ego and his 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 driving, you know, need for this vengeance more than anything yeah. else. Yeah. yeah. It's about his it's about his vengeance. Right. Yes. Which, yeah. which then you can also see how that that iron will and that focus, like that's what kept him and his people alive in this horrible situation. Right. right? So, it, so yeah, very much so in terms of the story too, but they don't go mm-hmm. overboard with it. What was the term you introduced to us, Matt? Flandersization. Oh yeah, Flandersization. Yeah. yeah. When you that's yeah, it's one of the you know the TV tropes from TV tropes like dot com or whatever um, is when you reduce over time. You know, everyone leans into a specific attribute of a character. So, like Flanders on The Simpsons has become you know. More, Flanders is the religious guy or the you know whatever uh, or the sort of you know conservative guy who's freaks out at everything and so like over time that's what they write the character into and of course that's not how he started out he was just Homer Simpson's neighbor I mean originally they were drinking beers together and stuff and of course the Flanders of today like sure. he's a teetotaler you know wouldn't do that but like yeah. initially they were just two neighbors and yes, Flanders was maybe more religious or something, but like it wasn't to the point where it is today. Mm. So, yeah. Well, I think the idea was that like Homer, you know, most you know, talking about like Cosmo Kramer, like typically in TV, you had your main character and the wacky neighbor, and that Flanders was yep. the normal guy, and Homer was the wacky neighbor. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They like wanted to invert <laughs> yep. that. Yep. Right. Anyway, exactly. Small... Yeah. Flanders was the normal guy. Right. Yeah. Small totally. digression. Totally. Anyway. 
Anyway, I didn't mean to. <clears throat> so, so yeah, I think I think that's what we that's I think that's one of those risks is everyone goes, oh, Khan is this badass guy who was genetically engineered, right? But except for we just pointed out that almost doesn't matter in this right. movie. <laughs> so <laughs> except for that the intellect part sort of raises the stakes a bit it does <clears throat> that part does for sure but the but the nice part is like the fact that he's this he's physically stronger pretty much doesn't matter at all because in mm-hmm. fact kirk kirk and Khan never actually share the same like room together which is yep. really quite mm-hmm. amazing by the way yeah it's 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 a fantastic testament to montavon and shatner that they do this kind of back and forth uh, across a view screen, which actually, of course, yes. is not there at all in re- you know in reality, and right. so they were never on the same stage together because, of course, yeah. the Reliant Bridge is a redress of the Enterprise Bridge, so they repainted it and shot scenes with Montalban. You know what I mean? It's like they were never mm. together. Yeah, yeah. They never. Yeah, they were never on the same stage. <laughs> yeah, they're it's never amazing. actually physically together, and it's ki- it's kind of amazing when you think. And about despite it. Yeah. that, they have really really strong chemistry. They do. It's, it's, it's incredible. A testament. Well. Yeah. Well, the, the chemistry and spacey between them is off the charts. Right. So it's just a testament to that. It just really is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you you see right away when they meet each other in spacey that they don't, they take an instant dislike to one another. Yes. Yeah. It kind of like two alphas. They're two alpha males. Exactly. <laughs> like sizing each other up. They are not going to put up with like, like Like two tigers <laughs> prowling against each other. Yeah. 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 The irresistible force met the immovable object. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Ricardo Maltaban is amazing in the film. And he brings a much more layered performance. I mean, Khan in, in the original series is this arrogant genetic Superman who feels entitled to take what he wants because it's somehow his birthright. Right. So there's simply a lot of swagger to the character, and, and he's not quite as layered. When you meet him in The Wrath of Khan, he's bitter, he's angry. Yeah, mm. 15 mm. years of a hellhole. He's blinded. Will do that. Yeah, he's blinded by rage. <laughs> he's worn down. He's not quite the, the. He doesn't have that swagger in his step anymore. He's a very different person. Yeah. It's a much more layered performance. But he has a hell of a chest, everyone. Let's just point that out. <laughs> and that you is can't, Ricardo Montalban. not talk chest. about that. Yeah, we have to. We were doing a rewatch, and my wife goes, Oh my God, look at his chest. Is he, could he show it off even more? And I'm like, Right? Yeah, he was very proud of that. But it made that. sense. But if you're going to be, yeah, but if you're going to play Khan, you're going to look jacked anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. And he was proud of that. I mean, that this oh, dude, yeah. that he was in good shape, you know, at his age. So more power, yeah. more power to him. And it wasn't just that. It's like everything about his character design is terrific, right? That he's he's wearing these 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 rags that you know that basically the only clothes that he has, but he still wears them in such a princely way that he's got this yeah. this hair that he's grown out so it looks like a lion's mane, and and the way he like takes Captain Terrell's insignia and, and wears it like a trophy on his mm-hmm. chest. Like everything about the way the character is put together works. And I love that little bit when he's bragging about on Earth 200 years ago, I was a prince with power over millions. And there's those very distant little horns in the background that kind of mm-hmm. sound like yeah. like uh, uh, war horns on his elephant that he used to cross yeah. the Rubicon or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything. All right. Was- yeah, Everything I always works. thought that was a nice, nice homage to the score from Patton when Patton's. Oh, on the, of course, the did, 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 when did, Patton's did. when Patton's talking about how he was in the ancient battlefields oh, back in the yeah. day. Yeah, you hear that, oh, you hear that yes. trumpet in the background. Yeah, oh yeah, which is also Jerry Goldsmith. That. Yep, oh. that was Jerry Goldsmith. Well, this, is this is James Horner. This is James Horner. But yeah, Gold, yeah. 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 this is James Horner. Yeah. One of James Horner's earliest scores, by the way. It's so good. 
You know what? You know what's what's too bad about this is it is really good, and then he basically slices and dices this for uh, uh, other movies, and it's kind of a shame. Yeah, yeah it's in Cocoon. It's, it's, well, it's Genesis, also the Genesis countdown. I think is in Cocoon. Is, note for note. is it really? There also yeah. most of this stuff becomes used in a in two different Harvey Corman movies, which really cheapens it. What? So. Yeah, there's there's two Harvey Corman movies that are like space adventure movies cashing in on the Star Wars. Roger Corman. Yeah, yep. Sorry, Harvey Corman's an as a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, the guy from Roger that's Corman. I thought you were talking about the guy from from the Carol Burnett show. No, no, no. Yeah. Sorry, Carol Burnett show. Apparently, I've, anyway, yes, Roger Corman. Excuse me. Um, his cheap, you know, sci-fi movies. Yep. For some reason, Horner did them, and boy, you can watch those and hear. Yeah. You know, kind of a hacked up, you know, mix and match version of what went into a lot yeah. of Wrath of Khan. Horner was well known for, for stealing from himself. Yeah. It's kind yeah, of unfortunate in that sense because it's a really great soundtrack, but it kind of cheapens it a little, I think. A little bit. Yeah. Just a little. It's still a classic score, though. It's it still it's like great. It's, it's that it's much like the motion picture score. It's extremely replayable. It is. Can I say there's, there's, a, there's such a great moment. There's another moment in the score that I love which is when Khan first strikes the Enterprise and they walk over to the status monitor and Spock starts to point out the damage. There's just blasts from like a tuba or something that directly match him pointing out damage. And it goes womp, 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 right as he's pointing to it. And it's Mm -hmm. like, it's this perfect like synchronicity of like, we're fucked, and now here comes a tu- here comes a tuba to point out exactly what I'm pointing out, and it's 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 really great. No, it's really it, great though. And it may as well be though the Price is Right. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, a little more serious than that, but yes, it basically only a little, only a little. Uh, yeah, but it actually is really great. It works perfectly with like the scene. Can Next we- time you watch it, notice it. It's great. Can someone, Jared, can you please recut that scene with the Price is Right music? Uh, I'll just for my own enjoyment. I'll do my best. Well, like the sad one that it does. The sad one when you fail. Yeah. When you When you've like failed. Yeah. Well, anyway, so yes, great soundtrack. Right. Great soundtrack. Great soundtrack. I have the vinyl. Oh, nice. Yes. And it sounds great. Yes, as do I. I have the original vinyl from 1982 oh, no and shit. the new vinyl. Wow. I have the new oh, like, I have, I have the vinyl of all the original scores. Yes, I have that too. I have that too. That was put out a couple of years ago. The, the new stuff. pressing. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Beautifully, beautifully done. All right. So, I mean, we all, we're all different ages. We all experienced this movie for the first time, obviously, at different moments. Um, what do you guys think of the movie, Kella? What do you? You're the youngest among us. Mm-hmm. What, what was? What's your impression of the movie the first time you saw it, and what do you think um, about it? Now? Gosh, you know, honestly, I'm not sure. I don't remember the first time I saw it, because um, it was, you know, it, it it was in theaters before I was born, um, mm-hmm. uh, so I didn't see it probably until the late '90s, maybe early okay. 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've just seen mm-hmm. it several times mm-hmm. since then. I think one thing I will say is that I feel like. The movie, it just, this is sort of hyperbolic, but it's kind of not. Like, I feel like this movie gets better every time I watch it. Mm. Um, yeah. Maybe it's yeah. partly because, well, I'm sure because I'm noticing new things and having a deeper appreciation. Also, like, you know, having talked with you guys for the last several years on Trek Movie and Shuttlepod, um, you know, Trek is a lot more in my in my own personal zeitgeist. And so I, mm-hmm. um, I have, like, a fresh view of Trek whenever I watch it now. Um and you know also just getting older and 
being able to see other things that, you know, when I was 15 years old, I may not have understood as strongly. And like, and also, mm-hmm. especially like watching Kirk go through, because this movie, you know, there's there's so many ties through, through this movie. And one of them is Kirk battling this sort of old versus young thing, himself aging mm-hmm. and wondering where he fits mm-hmm. in, um, trying yeah. to understand what that means for him and also dealing with death. Um, and those two things kind of go together. Uh, and dealing with the discovery of the sun and all these things. So, like, those are things that, like, I think it's pretty hard for most 15-year-olds to relate to. Um, mm-hmm. Even myself being 30 is not as relatable, but I can, like, understand his struggles so much more that, like, this last... Yeah. I just watched this movie, like, a couple hours ago. And I, I it was the fir- first time that it re- that storyline resonated that strongly with me. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and, and we'll continue to do so as you get older. Yeah. 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 So some, something that they do really well with that is to... To, to make to make it easier to pull young people into the story is they have the whole idea of it being a training mission and so you have people like like Peter Preston and the, and these uh, Savick and these other junior officers and cadets or whatever and when you're a teenager a kid or whatever at least for myself that's how you view the adventure is like oh I'm going along with them I'm like one of these these young bucks but then as you get older then you see it from the like the Kirk uh, uh, midlife crisis perspective. And it's such a, a beautiful couple of layers that they put over the story there to make it accessible to people of uh, different ages. Totally. Yeah. To- and then, well, well said, Jared. Well and, said. and then, of course, when um, Kirk, at the end of the film, says, you know, he's never faced the Noan scenario until now. Mm-hmm. He's never faced mm-hmm. death. He has he's at that, that, that talk um, with David at the end of the film where he's saying, I never did face death. I cheated it. Mm-hmm. And for him to realize as a man... Of, I don't know how old is he supposed to be in his. I think he's supposed to be early fifties. So you have a man of of fifty something years old who is for the first time learning this huge thing about himself that he's like, wow, I never actually faced this. Like I've I've been teaching mm-hmm. it, but I never actually really faced yeah. it myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, see now that that's one of the things about the movie that I actually reject about it, because that's not true. Kirk faced death during the original series. He had people. He had people in his command. Die. His brother died. Sure, but I guess he said he even said clarifies it. And to be fair, he's in grieving at the moment. He says it. So he says, "I've never faced it in this way," because he no, he has I mean, never lost Spock, right? And so every loss that no. you face is going to be different. That yeah, but he has faced death before. That that that's that's the thing that was a good little arc for the movie, but doesn't bear up when you hold it against the entire mythology. Sure. I guess like I I just I like my little headcanon is more like he, he was saying that he's never felt a loss in that way before because him and Spock right. had such a unique relationship. Right. Uh, although it's still better than in Final Frontier when Kirk says, I lost a brother once. I was glad I got him back, forgetting that in Operation Annihilate, he literally loses his brother. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty messed up. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Yeah, and Shatner played his brother in that. That's right, he did with a mustache. That's true. I think, right? Slapped on the mustache. Yep. <laughs> yep. Anyway, I'm sorry, Kelly. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh you. no, not at all. Um, yeah, I just thought like it that really worked for me this time through watching it. Um, just like having grown older and experienced different kinds of loss myself, and like seeing how he's like reflecting on that and been like, wow, this is like a new emotion that I've never felt before. I thought it was cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess like the last thing I'll say is um, I think this film 
is so widely regarded as a success in the Trek franchise. Everybody says, like, how do you make a good Star Trek film? Like, look at Wrath of Khan. And the question should be, how do you make a good film? Because the Wrath of Khan is just mm -hmm. a very good film, whether it has to do with Star Trek or not. I think the fact that it has to do with Star Trek, that it's a Star Trek film, is another layer on why it's great, because I think it really understands what Star Trek is. Um, I like that the all of the action sequences are slow and methodic and driven. Mm -hmm. So when you're watching them, there's real stakes in them, and it's not just pow, pow, shoot them up. And the action itself is quite slow, right? And the, the, the stakes yeah. are mm -hmm. in the cerebral game of chess that Kirk yeah. and Khan are playing. Chasing each other through the nebula is fantastic mm -hmm. and also fairly yeah. slow and actually really slow. It's especially a submarine battle. Yep. Right, yeah, it's a exactly. submarine battle. Yeah. And especially compared to today's movie, you could say that's a fairly slow action sequence, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but it's great. But you're on the edge of your seat yeah. the whole time. Right. And it's tense. Right. It's, it's tense. It's very tense, yeah. yeah. And, and to me, that captures a, a lot of what a lot of Star Trek fans love about Trek is this sort of cerebral stakes rather than just explosions and you know and it, right. it's it's right. i don't want to say it's not a popcorn movie because you are really on the edge of your seat watching it but it's not a, oh it's yeah not it's a, a total popcorn but movie. but it's not a popcorn movie in the sense that it doesn't just rely on explosions and gimmicks no no so. it's not absolutely. a big dumb thing yeah, yeah. No. absolutely so yeah. anyway that's that's i think why this movie holds up so well it's because it's a great film and it gets what star trek is supposed to be about so Matt, what about you? What are your thoughts? Well, it's hard to top what both Kayla and Jared have said, so I'll just quickly say that um, I start. I, I don't exactly remember the first time I saw it either, but for me, as a kid of like the sort of late 80s, I was actually born the year this came out, so that's a really... Mm -hmm. I like that. 1982 was a good year for genre stuff, so it's no wonder why I like this stuff, right? <laughs> Blade Runner, you know, Wrath of Khan, mm -hmm. all this uh, stuff. E. Anyway, Isn't that the um, year E.T. Tron. E.T. Yeah, yep. yeah, oh. Tron, right? Yeah, so um, it's a heck of a good year. Um, so oh, of course, yeah. so for so for me, it was on VHS at some point in like the you know late '80s, I think. But uh, I almost can't remember a time not watching this at some point mm -hmm. at home, you know, on, a, on videotape of some sort. And um, yeah, it's it's like I say, it's hard to top what those two guys have already mm -hmm. said. I feel much the same way about a lot of it. Um, I have to say that just did a rewatch on Sunday, and again, the the aging thing. Again, the older you get, the more you think about it and the more you can sort of empathize with Kirk. And it's really, it really is something. It really is something to have that kind of layering. It really is affecting, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the, the, the aging, him reflecting on his aging and thinking about the road not traveled. Oh, yeah. With David. Mm. Yeah. yeah, his life yeah. that could have been. Yeah. and But wasn't, yeah. Yeah. That that I think that can hit anybody at any age. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You, you you know you, you because we all at some point in our lives do look back at certain things and go, well, I wonder what have, what would have been like, what things would have been like mm -hmm. had I done X. Yeah. Instead of Y. And you figure like tw twenty one years ago for this guy, like he you know was hanging out with <laughs> he was hanging out with uh, Carol Marcus or whatever, and then boom, mm -hmm. at uh, <laughs> here's this little, guy, little blonde lab technician. Yeah, which yes, yeah, it's little, yes, it's implied to be. Lab yeah, it's pretty strongly. Yeah, it's there's an implication that that's what Gary, Gary, that's who Gary Mitchell is talking about. Yeah, yeah. from where no man's gone before. Um, yeah. So yeah, imagine that, right? This little blonde lab technician that was steered at him, and then he went as on his way, you know, trying to blaze his Starfleet career. But look at that, you know, here's a direct reminder of that. Yeah, yeah. but it, when when you meet Carol, though, you could totally see why. 
they got they were together like they're kind of oh sure they're, they're both very headstrong they and seem both, compatible you know, strong oh. person oh yeah, yeah very much so yeah very much so i could totally see them as a couple actually and then driving each other nuts too but that's okay <laughs> yeah because <laughs> they have clear that's ideas true. of what they want to do Sorry. obviously so you know yep jared what about okay. you what are your okay, thoughts okay so the the two points I wanted to make is Rathacon does two things that I think um, uh, uh, uses two tropes that sort of elevate it and does them really better than a lot of other genre fiction tries to do and it doesn't work. And one is I think it does social commentary a lot better than Trek usually does and I'm sort of a heretic in that I, I don't think, I think the social commentary stuff is, is gets talked about Trek that we talk about at conventions maybe gets exaggerated quite a bit and then mm. it, it also uses religious imagery much better than than a lot of than uh, sometimes you see anyway maybe not checking myself great anyway but so the social commentary that they have here is that this is all within the specter of mutually assured destruction right so this mm. is after the detente of the 1970s the cold war is heating up and and people know you know this is you know what was that made for tv movie the the um the the, the day, day after. after. Oh, the day after. The mm-hmm. Nick Meyer director. Oh, what a coincidence. Uh, yeah, and that came mm-hmm. out the next year, right? So mm-hmm. there's there's very much this concern of nuclear destruction. Uh, what What's the phrase that that Bones uses? Uh, uh, interstellar Armageddon or something? Universal, Arma- Universal, Universal Armageddon. Armageddon. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, so I, I think it does that in a way that doesn't distract from the main story, but just kind of enhances it. Because if... if the idea of social commentary is we basically write a homily and then we staple a story on top of it. To me, that's always kind of unsatisfying. I think that's just kind of oh, preachy sure. and lazy. Yep. Um, and, it, and it's obvious and sometimes, it's obvious, too. You know? right? You're like, yeah. Whereas with this, I didn't realize this until I'd seen this movie, you know, I don't know how many times before I say, oh, they're they're talking about, about nuclear weapons here. Uh, especially, like, mm-hmm. you know, Bones mm-hmm. also says things like, Oh no no! What Spock says it's always been easier to destroy than to create, and and the other yep. thing is there's like this layer there with Khan, is the message is uh, uh, mankind should not try to play God. Like we are we we're, it's wrong to try to play God with with Genesis, and it was wrong to play God to try to create these supermen. Um, sure. And, and in mm-hmm. and in terms yep. of the religious imagery, the thing I think about is sometimes sometimes uh, creators will try to use religious imagery to to imbue themselves with a false sense of profundity. And I'm specifically mm-hmm. thinking of Man of Steel. Do you guys remember that? Like, there's a scene where Superman goes to a church, mm-hmm. and there's like a, a, a stained glass window of Jesus right behind him. And I'm like, oh, come on. Oh, this, puke. That, How, that, yeah, that offended yeah. me both as a Christian and as a Superman fan. It was so right. badly executed, right? Right. You know, they, they, also, they, they did something similar in Superman Returns when, when he's flying toward the sun to try to get yeah, yeah. oh that's right there's, like, there's a very there's a he real holds christ like there's a, a lot pose. of christ like imagery there. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but that was it's like yeah. on the nose sure like, yeah of this whole idea that he's like a godlike figure and also like everyone hasn't already talked about that like oh he, pick a pick an original viewpoint exactly right. yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. but he's but he's trying to say oh look how important this thing is that i'm making because of of God and stuff. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah. the, right. the yeah, stuff yeah. they do here that's so good is they build off of, so Khan quotes Paradise Lost right before Kirk exiles him uh, to, mm-hmm. to City Alpha 5. And and if you if you look at the movie, I mean, this tale of Paradise Lost is it's a retelling of, of Genesis 
from the Bible, but from the perspective of Lucifer. The idea is him trying to get revenge on God for casting him out. And so you see that 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 uh, Khan is very much, you know, Satan trying to get revenge, trying to he's been cast out and now he's he's coming back. He uh, we see that David and Carol Marcus are like Adam and Eve with the whole idea of the Genesis and them creating the garden that's that's paradisiacal. Spock sacrifices his life, so he's like a Christ figure, but they managed to not like uh, uh, um, uh, put him in front of a stupid stained glass window for no good reason. And then, <laughs> right. and then Kirk, right. of course, as the individual who exiled Khan, would then be God himself, right? And there's that beautiful image right at the beginning after Savick has botched the uh, training mission where Kirk comes oh, yeah. in and the light is, is shining at him from behind as though he's appearing to her kind of like a divine figure. And they, right. they do all this stuff but in a way that enhances the storytelling rather than distracting from it. So right. I, the, 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 the layers to this thing, like I keep saying, the layers to this, uh, they just keep going and going. And I'm so, I'm so impressed with, with the precision that they had with this and making it so well. And also, in terms of yeah. like people cite like, oh, we need to go dark the way Wrath of Khan went dark, to the point that even like the spiritual successor of this was called Star Trek Into Darkness. Like yes. this movie yeah. is not dark. This is no, no, actually, it's, no, not. it's so it's not. bright yeah. and no. cheerful that it ends with a Scottish guy playing Amazing Grace on the bagpipes and a guy like finding new purpose in life. This is inspiring yeah. and hopeful. It's not dark and bleak. The only like yeah. dark moment is when Captain Terrell kills himself and you feel bad for him. But yeah, you know, that's a, yeah, that's a pretty brutal moment. Yeah, honestly. even now watching it again you're like wow that's yeah. rough yeah especially since you know with knowing that he would later also be um captain dathan and darmok like we like <laughs> yeah Paul Terrell even more <laughs> so it's like he's killing two characters at once anyway so that's uh sorry to go off on kind of a rant there but they, these these sure. are the things i think this movie executes so well yeah the genesis device i i, I do like the fact that yeah that it definitely represents nuclear Mm-hmm. Holocaust, but it is kind of the MacGuffin of the movie. It's, oh, it, it is. That it clearly represents the nuclear weapons, but then they kind of push it into the background. Yeah, because the movie is about Khan and Kirk. It's not about the Genesis device. Right, right, right. and the underlying themes of both yeah. their relationship and their own personal. Yeah, struggles. control over the Genesis device is a means to an end for Khan. It's not really, right. you know, yeah, yeah, it's not right. Yeah, if the, the the more overt consequences of the genesis device obviously become more manifest in the search for spock yes yes anyway i saw this movie in the theater i'm old enough to have seen it in the theater in 1982 nice. june of 82 nice i remember being very sad at the end of the movie obviously spock dying uh, had yeah. been a big spock dying had been known going in it had been there had been a lot of publicity attached to that's it. that's also why they have the fake out at the beginning with the training simulation. oh sure yeah, yeah that's right because they, they yeah, they, right. That's why they kill him, and that's why Kirk says, "Aren't you dead?" Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. kind of an allusion to the whole publicity. Right. Yeah. right. They're on. they're they're winking at people who leaked it, basically. Yeah. 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 And Nick, that was Nick Myers' idea. So why don't we kill him early, so that in a movie like that, and freak everybody out, and then they'll forget <laughs> about it, <laughs> yeah. which is true. And it's what people did. And it worked. Kind of it works. About it yeah, after. it works. He works. So anyway, I just remember being deeply saddened at the end of the movie that Spock was dead and walking. It, it's still sad to this day. Really, yeah. it is. It's yeah. it's moving and sad. It's a to sad. This day. It's sad to watch a character like Spock who had such dignity and such a good 
person just suffer. I hate watching him suffer like Particularly, that. Particularly, yeah. the one bit is where like he bumps into the glass. Yes. Yeah, because he can't yeah, see. That's, he can't, yeah, that's the little thing that gets me. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, he, like when he first stands up and he straightens his yeah. uniform out because he wants to present himself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's he's just such a yeah, such a great character. Yeah. So it was. It's always hard to watch him. It is. It's hard. Yeah, it is. But I remember walking out of that movie with I think my I was it with both my parents and my sister, and we're walking down the street afterwards, and my dad's looking at me with my yeah, you know, he sees me with this like hangdog expression on my face. And he said to because you know obviously at the end of the movie you know they they cut to the mm-hmm. Genesis plant you see Spock's tube and you know Leonard Nimoy does the famous space the final frontier bit at the end but as a nine year old I didn't quite understand the significance of that the symbolism of it so I remember my dad going to me don't worry Bri I have a feeling Spock's not going to be dead for long <laughs> <laughs> that's great um, but yeah. I, I can't really say much more than the rest of you said about the movie. It has, it's packed with a lot of different things. It's got great character moments in it, but people who had criticized the motion picture for not having enough great character moments and feeling enough like the original show, this movie has all of that in spades. Definitely. Everybody's on their game. Yeah. They're on their game. It, It definitely feels more like the original series and everybody's written beautifully. The performances, the entire cast is on their game. Um, it's a great showcase for William Shatner. There's oh, yeah. a lot of stuff for Shatner to play in this yeah, movie. And he does yep. really great in this film. Yeah, he does really well. The thing I've heard about this is that Nicholas Meyer no, no, knew that Shatner had this kind of bombastic way about his acting, so he made mm-hmm. him shoot scenes over and over and over again to wear him down. Yep. yep. So huh, he'd get really? a more authentic yeah. performance yeah. out of yeah, him. He, he likes to tell that story about when, when Kirk says to Khan, "Here it comes." Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, before he's about to hit him with yeah, the phaser yeah, yeah. fire, yeah. and and apparently Shatner, when he first started doing it, kept kind of being so overtly obvious in his performance that he was telegraphing the Khan. You had to be an idiot not to see that Kirk was pulling a fast <laughs> one and be like, "Here it comes!" Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, like that. So, so Nick kept. I think. He must have made him do it like 30 times to the point where he didn't give a shit anymore. And he just was like, here it comes. Yeah. And he got the performance and he finally figured out, okay, I cracked the Shatner code. Huh, that's awesome. Wear him down. Yeah. Wear him down. <laughs> well, it works. That's not exactly fair to Shatner. I mean, but you know, but you, can, particular... but you can see that about, I mean, Shatner even today is full of energy. So you could, you could kind of see that, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he didn't want to, he had to be talked into playing Kirk as a middle-aged guy. He didn't really want to do that. Because when you're an aging actor in Hollywood, the last thing you want to do is play older. Well, especially because he also had that hit TV show going on at the same, you know. He just started T.J. Hooker, right? He just started T.J. Hooker. And, of course, like you don't want your lead star also discussing middle age. You know what I mean? Like, you can see why he was reluctant. But thank goodness he did it because it's fantastic. It was great. It added a tremendous layer to the movie and to his character. And it was great. Mm-hmm. It was great. Now, it, uh, the movie. I, I, as a kid, I didn't quite understand what Harv Bennett was doing with with the uh, the film series. I thought he was tearing Star Trek apart. He killed Spock. He destroyed the Enterprise and destroyed Spock, stuff like that. But you know, when you look at it in the rearview mirror, this was obviously the beginning of the what quote unquote accidental trilogy. Mm, yes, yes. And what Harv Bennett did ultimately was brilliant. He really did. He, if if it weren't for Harv Bennett. 
<laughs> we wouldn't be talking about Star Trek right Not now. At all. Like he just he, he he to this day, and we've discussed this. We did a podcast about Harv a couple of years ago now. I think mm-hmm. um, Harv Bennett is one of the key figures in Star Trek's history, and he doesn't get enough credit for being yeah, who he was. yeah, absolutely. Harv is the Harv saved the Star Trek franchise. He did. That's true. And he's he allowed it to to continue rising and rising and he's the reason there was a Star Trek the Next Generation because if right. he didn't produce those three movies and the one wasn't better than the last one and there wasn't clearly this fervor and excitement for Star Trek and it wasn't making money for the studio, there would have been no Star Trek the Next Generation. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So Harv deserves all the kudos he can get and it's more. kinda to mm-hmm. me it, it's like um like a British Prime Minister. Like is it when you're the Prime Minister you keep getting reelected because there's no term limits until you get kicked out, right? So every PM ends on a low note, right? And so oh, with yeah. him, you know, he did these three great movies, and then Final Frontier wasn't great, and they couldn't fire William Shatner, so they fired him. <laughs> well, that's not quite he, how it worked. He bowed but, out of but, it, actually, but yeah. He bowed out, yeah. yeah. He didn't want to do the Final Frontier. Shatner pretty much begged him and he, yeah. to come back, and he did. Yeah. Because he knew he, he had a bed feeling about it like a lot of other people yeah and then when they didn't do harv's idea of rebooting things with an academy you know film with the academy for star trek 6 harv, harv just kind of went okay oh, okay all right no, well they, I'm, they I'm wanted out. harv they wanted harv to produce the undiscovered yeah. country he, still, yeah. he didn't get a chance to end on a high note i guess i oversimplified that. no he didn't he didn't it's unfortunate harv, about that yeah harv is harv is one of the if there's a star trek hall of fame harv is in it <laughs> oh definitely definitely people don't know that but they should <laughs> go listen to our podcast about him by the way if you haven't it's really excellent so kudos to harv kudos to this movie for just bringing the entire thing back and making the 80s a great time to be a star trek yeah 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 i think that's a really nice segue into delving more into what we talked about a bit at the beginning of this podcast which is the film's effect on the rest of the franchise Mm-hmm. So, Matt, you had mentioned um, earlier that uh, that that it's really remarkable that the Wrath of Khan has really touched every era of the franchise. Oh yeah, it's true. There's there's sort of a ripple of Khan in some in some fashion through almost every era, and it didn't dawn on me until we were talking about it and sort of putting it into our show notes that oh yeah, this touches almost every era because of course, um, you know, Nemesis was sort of obviously and somewhat infamously patterned after wrath of khan mm, yeah. um they've they've kind of openly said so and it's kind of yeah okay yeah, well, the third <laughs> act is almost a exactly yeah, yeah. It's, very, it's very blatant exactly it's it's like they wanted the next gen cast although i don't know if it's really unanimous like that but let's just say they the next gen you know films wanted to have their wrath of khan you know so to speak so mm. so darn it they made that happen for better or for worse um, and then, of course, it t- it very much touches, of course, the Kelvin universe and Into Darkness, which well, let's circle back to that savior, <laughs> savior bitter, savior time. tomatoes. Yeah, um, and then of course, uh, Khan's Khan's legacy of sorts continues even um, into Enterprise or backwards, yep. maybe since it's a prequel. But since we're talking production wise, chronologically, it, it goes forward. It touches the Enterprise um world by having of course the whole uh uh trilogy of of episodes about augments mm-hmm. um that are like essentially cons you know 
cousins, like genetically engineered cousins, mm-hmm. still in the lab somewhere. So, and then just briefly, of course, it's it's Khan is still affecting things because one of the most persistent rumors about about one of the uh, new shows for the new sort of CBS TV universe that's sort of coming together under Alex Kurtzman is, of course, a SETI Alpha 5, you know, sort of con survival kind of TV show, potentially. And that's been persistent for, like, two years, I think, almost at this point. Yeah, so, yeah. which is being developed by Nicholas Meyer. Which, of course, by none other than Nicholas Meyer. So, I mean, really, wow, con has never stopped somehow affecting the franchise. Mm-hmm. It's a good rundown. Yeah, it casts a very long shadow. This oh, movie. and then mm-hmm. also when, um, when it's revealed that Julian Bashir was, uh, Oh yeah. Was uh, genetically enhanced. The Admiral ethics guy says for every Julian Bashir, there's a con thing waiting in the wings. So, so oh, that's yeah. how they played. They played. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, how could I forget? And um, and then there's the one in uh, TNG, right, where Picard likens he he's mentioning sort of villains, right, of Earth's history, and he mentions Khan, and he mentions yeah. Hitler. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, if anyone else name named a fictional character and Adolf Hitler in the same sentence, it would sound hokey. But Patrick Stewart does it and makes it sound like this is a man who grew up in a world where both of these guys killed lots of people. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's often driven me to distraction to listen to like Star Trek movie directors and screenwriters constantly like reference yeah, it. We want to make yeah. our yeah. We want to make our Wrath of Khan. We want to make something that's like the Wrath of Khan. Yes. No. Oh my God. No. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah. Exactly. Please don't. You too. You lose me the moment you start saying shit like that. Yep. It's like absolutely. Make, well, I think oh it's God. it's because when they say that, if they really meant I want to make something that's like the Wrath of Khan, they would mean I want to go pull the elements that worked for Wrath of Khan in sort of a generalized case and make a good movie that follows certain um, formula for storytelling. But they mean we're going to steal the story or we're going to retell the same. Yeah, they mean, the they mean like story, story beats. Story, we're just going to rip them yeah, out. Yeah, point for point, yeah. beat for beat. It's like, oh, stop it. I remember in the publicity yeah. for Nemesis leading up to John Logan, who's the screenwriter, who's won Oscars for other work. As an editor, um, though. Or no, well, John, John Logan. Logan. Oh, John Logan. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Gladiator, I think. Yes. Right? You're thinking of Stuart. For Gladiator, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Gladiator, he wrote Big The though. Aviator. He's yes. written plays. He's But he's he, he doesn't have any... He has no business writing Star Trek, but yes. No, but I remember him like in the publicity leading up to Nemesis coming out, going on and on and on about how yes, they about the wrath how the Wrath of Khan was like the perfect Star Trek movie. They dropped Wrath of Khan so much constantly, yes. and then when you get to the final third of Nemesis, it's like, oh wow, he. I don't even I, at the time I wasn't even sure if he was aware he was doing it or not. But, right? Yeah. But the final third of the movie is like. It's almost like a beat for beat reprisal of, of the Wrath of Khan. And it doesn't. Sure. It's ne- every time someone has tried to copy it, it's never worked because no, we're, no. The, the things that we're highlighting are it, it's kind of like Flanderization. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> right, because they're kind of like they're that. taking yeah. the Wrath of Khan and they're trying to distill it into the things that you might read on the back of the DVD. Right exactly. or on a, an right. iTunes yeah. description or of what it right. is, yeah. right? In, exactly. Instead of the things that we named, even just here in this podcast, and what you know, 
thousands of other people have said about the film and why it works it has to do with all the characters and the layers and the interplay between all these different things going on in the hi- history and where it yeah. was at time yeah. in time in the real world and all of these things coming together and instead they go oh uh we're gonna have in our third act these two characters they're sort of like brothers they you know they trust each other um yeah. oh and by the way one of them is is coldly logical in this case right. because he's an android yeah but yeah right. you know it's like one okay. is gonna subdue the other and yeah. get them out of the yeah, way, get them out of the way yep. in order to save the day and save everyone else that's and right gonna, you know and it's like no that's not we don't love Khan because he has superhuman strength. <laughs> we right. don't love the wrath of right. Khan because Spock sacrifices himself at the end. That is not the defining moment of that film. It's a big part of the picture, but it's not everything. Right, right, right. Yeah, and then of course we get to into darkness. Yeah, which... I mean, my goodness, watching. Of course, we're doing this rewatch and thinking about how affecting it really is to watch. Kirk interact with as we've talked about the excellent performance by Leonard Dimway as the irradiated dying Spock is truly amazing and it's truly affecting because um as they point out so many times these guys have served together now for you know what what is it about 20 years at this point so 15 to 20 years yeah yeah so I mean (laughs) of course they have this connection and then you go to Into Darkness and they a, they think they're really clever by flipping it, and then B, they've been hanging to they've been hanging out as you know uh, Starfleet Bros for a couple like a year or so, and they don't even really like each other mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. And it's like as I'm gonna, I'm gonna cribs Jared's favorite phrase: they haven't yep. earned this. They haven't, haven't earned, earned this. this. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And it's just like completely are you unearned. Me? They are cashing in on the original characters in order to drive that scene. And the con right. and screen? Completely, that is completely about oh, the yeah, original the characters and not about theirs. Exactly. Is- like, these characters haven't matured to that point. They are not there. How how the hell does this work? I mean, I la- I mean, at this point, I'm, like, laughing. I'm, you know, like... Me yeah, too. Kind of I was, I was laughing like, out loud in the theater. I laughed in the theater. Yeah. Right. It was just like, are you kidding me? Like, and, this is what you're doing? And, and, and I think I said before, but the thing that... I think most people saw was not a reference to Breath of Calm, but a reference to Seinfeld. Yeah, true. Because of course that's the pop culture face of it at this point. Exactly. You know, like. But then it's become and, a joke. It's, and then it's a joke. It's right. not meaningful. And I just always like to point out that he screams Khan when, in fact, Khan wasn't the person that really got them into that situation. It was Admiral Marcus. <laughs> true. Good point. So true. 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 He should have screamed, "Marcus!" Mar- yes, Marcus is is really Marcus is really the villain. He's he's the one pulling the strings. Really, Khan is just like a random most. dude in that film who first who for some reason is genetically enhanced. Yeah, he's he's a random dude that was kind of weaponized yeah. by Marcus. And if, you if know, anything, he's not... sort of a victim because like he was being used by Marcus. You know, he, well, he doesn't have this motivation. I... Yeah, exactly. And I think mm. that's one of the things that they think is kind of clever about their spin on it is that Khan is both a villain and not a villain in their version. You know? They're like, ooh, look. Keeping in mind, yeah. of course, that to those of us who are fans of the franchise, we know that Captain Picard spoke Khan's name in the same breath as Adolf Hitler's. Right. Right. And then, uh, another thing that really falls flat about Into Darkness, speaking of the whole infamy thing, is he's not even infamous to them. No, exactly. They're like, they're like who the hell did you just say? Yeah. Oh, let's call up yeah. old Spock and ask him. 
Like what? Oh, that was I best. forgot that about that. Oh, that was the best when Khan. When Khan is in the brig and, and he, he drops his name, Khan, and, and they, they just go, Kirk and Spock, womp, womp. Like, okay, like, okay. <laughs> they just shoulder shrug and like walk off. Who the hell? Is As that? they should, because they've never. And I love how they even um, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch even delivers it in this way that's supposed to be. It's very clearly supposed, it's supposed to, to be land. this big yeah. reveal because he's yeah. like, my name is God. God. Dun, dun. And you're supposed to go, oh my God. And well, and so just like, the other Who? funny part is, so I, I mean, so we, we should really save this for our own Into Darkness we should, like, podcast or something. Yeah, but, yeah, but, we, but, we but just, but just real quick, like I can remember being in an audience, this was an opening weekend thing in an IMAX screening. So lots of fans and stuff and lots of newer fans who came in because of 09. So let me tell you, this con reveal didn't land to the newer fans at all. They were just like, what? You know, they were brought in by 09. They weren't brought in because of, you know, um, the the older stuff. So they, you know, a lot of these people just started maybe exploring, you know, the franchise. And this con reveal just didn't land at all to like half the, the audience. Yeah, they were like, you know, wait, were that just... guy from the 80s? Yeah, yeah, they're like, okay, what? But this dude's white. And like, huh? Okay, you know. <laughs> and it was just really, it was just, you could just see like half the audience just kind of went, yeah. That means nothing. Just like yeah, Kirk and Spock, yeah. they went, that means nothing. You know? Yeah, like, and this was the same problem that the Bond movie Spectre had. With yes. Blofeld. Yes, it's same, same exact thing. It's the exact same problem. Yes. Yep. So. Yeah. It, it's just it's just a shame that, that they, they just keep cribbing this one particular movie over and over again. Well, you know, Hollywood, especially these days, hey, if it worked once, we can grind it through and kind of churn out some sausage that's about that that works again right if the if the algorithm says we will make at least slightly more money than we spend then we are going to do it (laughs) nothing else matters especially overseas especially if it works well overseas Mm -hmm. but don't forget that yeah and you know the wrath of khan is a great movie but it's not one of the greatest motion pictures ever made that you have to right. constantly oh, not at back all. to it. It's In fact, it borrows heavily from lots of like nautical and, you know, other things. Horatio yeah. Hornblower I mean, and whatever else. Yeah, there's a lot of literary allusions in it. And Moby of course, Dick. Moby Dick, mm-hmm. of Dick. course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you that's know, and that's like, there's nothing wrong with that. But that just points out that, yeah, Rathacon is not this perfect perfection. It, no, it, and it's like it, it itself and, borrows. Yeah. Which is just, perfectly OK, by the way. Yeah. Star Trek could be so much more. It doesn't need to be revisiting the same things over and no. over and over again. Right. Hint. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, just, the other, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Killer. I was just going to make a random aside. We should think about doing a uh, Shakespeare in Star Trek podcast. Yes, that's a wonderful idea. We could, boy, we could really run with that. There's a lot. On that note, as a bit of trivia, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry before, before in, we move on that, really I'm sorry, oh, the ahead. thing I wanted to interject about re- rehashing or, or or what homages or whatever it is, the problem is anytime you do that, you immediately invite comparison to the source material, and the comparison yep. is always going to be negative, and it makes it so you can't judge the new piece of content on its own, right? True. And the, the, True. I, I think the beyond some of the problems with Into Darkness that we've talked about, it, like with the Hobbit movies, like they were so focused on fan service, like, oh, do you remember this from the Lord of the Rings movies? But, oh, don't mm. compare us to those. We're our own thing. It's like, no, you can't be. If you if you don't... can't have, you it, can't both have ways. it both yeah. ways. There it is. Yeah. Good point. Yep. Anyway, Matt, what were we saying? Oh, no, that's fine. Let, I think this is actually a good segue into the whole lasting legacy and maybe how, you know, is it good? Maybe it's too much. I think it ties back to our discussions on nostalgia too very much so but yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I'm just going to go with, you know, what we've sort of always championed on this podcast, which is that nostalgia done right when, 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 you know, peppered into taste is fine <laughs> and good. And mm-hmm. I applaud that. Mm-hmm. But when you just overload the whole thing and it's nothing, it, you know, it's more nostalgia than show. Um, and it's nostalgia for nostalgia's sake, and it doesn't lend anything to the plot and blah, 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 then I, I totally detest it, and I think it ruins it. And I'll also just say that um, I, I think if, when you say has it been too much, like I don't, I think it's it's not whether it's been too much or too little nostalgia for, um, or, or, or legacy of uh, Wrath of Khan in particular. I think it's the way that it's been sourced. So kind of like I was saying yes. earlier, I think, they're yeah. borrowing the wrong parts of it instead yeah. of right. sort of borrowing the soul of the film yes. and using the the methodology that the film employs to make it a good film. They say, oh, we're going to steal these parts. And if we like, it's like, it's like if you take blood from a triple <laughs> and inject it into someone else, it's not just going to magically <laughs> cure them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my and 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 uh, underscoring your your very insightful comment you just made the thing that does pepper in nostalgia just the right amount to taste is wrath of khan mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yes it does so by yeah. trying to copy it they're not learning from its lesson yeah i totally agree that's a really good point because because yeah obviously wrath of khan does borrow some nostalgia from the it relies heavily on the characters as they've been presented before and and there are nods to things that you know only track like when they introduced botany bay i always imagine myself watching you know when the track i was like botany bay i always imagine myself watching it as a non-track fan and it still works fine because you're like oh check knows something it's bad yeah sure. it's bad um, mm-hmm. but a fan yeah. is going oh it's from spacey you know so yep. it works either yep. way absolutely yeah the movie works for anybody mm-hmm. Rath- that's one of the reasons why the rathacon i think is popular is it it, it, yeah, it works very well for almost it anyone. It yeah. works, yeah. Yeah, some some of the Star Trek movies are much more insular, and they're more about the Star Trek universe, and others have more of a cross. Yeah, yeah. Mainstream. Rathacon is definitely Rathacon. a good entry point for someone. But so, yes, absolutely. But I mm-hmm. I love that they a lot of times people will say, oh, we have to take this and make it for a general audience, and by that they mean make it into an action film, and this movie doesn't do that. Right, this this proves no. that idea right there. Yeah, that you can do both just fine. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Kayla, do you have any track anecdotes for us? Okay, so I do have a track anecdote this week. Um, you know, hearing all of Jared's stories makes me sort of realize when I'm injecting Star Trek into my life in different little ways. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. this one is sort of an honorary Star Trek. It's of. Uh, one of the best, by some people's measures, the best Star Trek film. I'm talking, of course, about Galaxy Quest. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I sort of caught myself injecting um, Captain Nesmit into my own self the other day. I'm sitting at work, and so, you know, I'm a scientist. And so a lot of the things that I do when I'm working a lot on a project is, like, sitting down and writing equations out on pieces of paper. And, like, my typical sort of eureka moments are usually me writing out equations and sort of figuring stuff out for myself not necessarily figuring out stuff people didn't already know but just coming to an understanding i hadn't been at before and i go oh wow this works this math works and that you know that proves what i was thinking or whatever so i was doing this the other day um and i was sort of copying down some equations and copying a methodology from another paper it's a really old paper 
that's really revered. And I kept thinking, I don't want people really like this paper and they really like, you know, this, this, um, this thing they're trying to say, but I just don't understand how this can be true. And so I'm going over, um, my myself and I'm doing equations similar to them and I come up with a different answer than they had gotten and I was like and I just like channeled um the the captain of that moment and I was like um you know talking to myself about about the like chemistry of the system and I was like and I was like ah you know but they were doing the equations this way of course what they failed to realize is that my ship is dragging mines. <laughs> and I like said this out loud at my desk and like threw my pencil down and walked away. It was like, that was my Eureka moment. Wow, that's funny. No <laughs> that's way. dynamite. It doesn't, doesn't take a great actor to recognize a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I'm hoping I can write what they failed to realize and work that into my manuscript. You'll get there. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> you can put a little footnote, see also like Galaxy Quest, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys. Well, I think we've uh I think we've covered it. I agree. Well ho- hopefully we've given a little bit of a new spin on an old favorite. I hope so. Yes. I hope so. And we will sometime in the next couple of months be back to do the search for Spock. And we have a lot to say about mm-hmm. that. Yes. So thank you for joining us once again. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. Take care. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. <laughs>